That's right. Bear down, Bears fans. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you. And oh, I have got the shovel and I am digging because we are searching for rock bottom because as bad as being down 41 to nothing to the Chiefs was and that game, let's be honest, if the Chiefs didn't let up in the fourth quarter, that one probably would have been 55 or 58 to nothing, something like that, probably. That game was getting ugly, and we certainly thought that there was a chance that was rock bottom. But blowing the biggest lead in franchise history in 102 years or whatever it is of Chicago Bears football, blowing a lead like that to the Super Bowl champions, the NFC champions, the uh, a, a perennial playoff team, or the one of the only other 0-4 teams with arguably the worst defense in the NFL, which is saying something after we have watched Matt Eberflus's defense for four years. That is more rock bottom than this Chiefs game, and I certainly hope at this point we are done digging, but boy, oh boy, is this season getting to be a tough pill to swallow. Looking forward to my guest, that is Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus, and of course a Bears fan. He's going to be by here in just a little bit. But there is plenty, plenty to talk about with this team, with this coaching staff, with this quarterback, with so much after this performance on Sunday against the Denver Broncos. And let me just tell you, it is beyond frustrating to sit here on the day of this recording, which is October 2nd, and wonder what on earth I am going to do for these podcasts moving forward for the rest of the season. How much can we continue to talk about this team doing this kind of crap week in and week out? When you have a performance from Justin Fields, which is without a doubt his best performance of his career he put it together he was perfect in the first half i know he threw an incomplete pass at the end of the uh the, the at halftime there for the the hail mary but was perfect in the first half basically perfect in the third quarter put up 28 points only to have it all come crashing down and that's the thing is it came crashing down as a team you cannot point to Justin Fields and say he didn't get it done. You cannot point to the defense and say they're the reason he didn't get it done. You can't point to Eberflus or Getze. You cannot point to one of them and say the reason the Bears lost is X. It was a total team collapse from multiple people on and off the field that led to this, this, this outcome. And, and basically what I'm saying is you had a three and out. So the Bears are up 28-7, Broncos go down, score a touchdown, make it 28-14. You are still up two scores, and if you move the, move the ball a little bit, even if you don't get points, you get a couple three first downs, punt and bury the Broncos deep, you can continue to be working in the right direction. But they go three and out the next time, and of course the Broncos come right back down and cut it to 28-21. You go three and out, that is an entire collapse. 
whether it's, you know, on play calls, whether it's Justin Fields, whether it's the offensive line, that is a group fail from everyone. Fields had an incomplete pass. They ran the ball twice, once with Fields, once with, I believe, Roshan Johnson. They only picked up five yards. Third and five, that's not third and short, but it's third and manageable. And they threw an incomplete pass. Fields throws an incomplete pass to Cole Komet. And that is it. And they punt the ball away. So first of all, right there, that's not getting the job done. Collective from the offense, from the everybody, not getting the job done there. Three and out. Broncos take the ball and score again. Because again, what are we talking about here? We are talking about a Matt Eberflus defense that looked better in the first half. Got a little penetration into the backfield, forced Russ to move around a little bit, tried to make him a little uncomfortable, did get home with one sack. I saw Sanborn and Brisker in there a little bit where, where Lieberfuss was bringing some blitz packaging. That was good to see. You saw a little bit more kind of with sticky coverage that it wasn't as quite as soft as it had been. Finally, you kind of saw the Bears defense playing a little bit better. And then we get to the second half, and I assume Matt Eberflus just thought he was needed to protect his lead, and we saw the same crap. We saw straight four pressure. We saw soft zones, and we saw Russell Wilson just pick this team apart as he just continued to march down the field. So he does it again, cuts it to 28 to 21. Now we get, of course, the fumble play from Justin Fields. And I'll obviously, I'll ask Brad Spielberger about this one. Because this one to me, this is interesting because where do you put the blame? You, to me, you put the blame in multiple people. One, Justin Fields. I understand that he was dead to rights. I get that. But he still needs to protect the football. That is part of his job. He fumbled the football, they scooped it, and they scored. That's unacceptable. To me, and I've said, I said this on the postgame show to Kyrie Thompson, that's a fetal position sack. You turn, you see that guy, you tuck the ball, cover it, and that's it. Not, not even Justin Fields is escaping that one. Like, he literally is still turning when the guy is on top of him. He, he is not as much of a magician as he is back there with escaping sacks. No one is escaping that. That, that was doomed. But he does the jump pass. He tries to get rid of the football and, of course, the fumble. But more so to me... That play call was a terrible play call. And then you hear from the Broncos that apparently that was an identical play call that we, we saw earlier in the game with, and with the motion being the, the uh, point of, of making it clear what that play was so the Broncos were able to read it perfectly. Now, I don't know if that's a great call or a great, a great play by the defensive player who basically went untouched. It was basically Rudy Rudiger coming around the outside to get his sack, but... Regardless, the play was read by the Broncos and the Bears had no, the Bears literally didn't have anyone available to block him. I, I don't know if Fields is supposed to, to uh, audible out of that, but you watch that play. There's no one available because all the offensive linemen are crashing down to the left. So you, you see Darnell Wright crashing down. You see, you know, Patrick and Davis. You see everyone going down and picking up the, the Broncos defenders. There's no, you know, Khalil Herbert, it's a fake, and Herbert's going to the left. So you, there is nobody there to the right. So you have the one defender who reads it perfectly and goes right after Fields and ends up right in his lap. So you have a problem with that play. And, of course, the scoop, we got 28-all. Now the game has collapsed. Everybody's nervous. That entire 
I'm sure that sideline was feeling good for three quarters, and now everybody's nervous. Oh, God, here we go again, right? You know that's just happening in people's heads. They, you just can't avoid it. So the Bears, they get their crap together. They march down the field. Now, now we got some interesting decisions here on fourth and one. I have no problem if you're going to try and draw them off sides. Okay, fine. You know, you, you, you're about to take the lead in theory, so you don't really need your timeouts, right? Try and draw them off, call a timeout, fine, whatever. Now you're coming out of a timeout on a fourth and one call. Me, I'm conservative. 28 all, kick the field goal, take the lead, fight another day, force Russell Wilson to go 75 yards for the loss or 50 yards for the tie, get the, get the game to overtime. There are choices there. Matt Eberflus is the defensive coach. He makes a decision that he doesn't want his defense back out on the field. He does not trust his defense. Does he not trust the players? Does he not trust himself? I don't know, but he doesn't trust somebody. That's clear because otherwise he would have put his defense out there with a three-point lead to protect it. But he knew that that was a major risk. And, and I'm sorry. I know this defensive line is a bad defensive line. It's one of the bottom three or four defensive lines in the league in terms of talent. You know, he put a couple, Ryan Poles put a couple rookies out there, two top 64 picks, but defensive linemen that are picked in the second and third round don't usually have massive impact in year one. Andrew Billings, pretty good, right? You know, he, he can take a couple blocks, eat a couple blockers and fill some gaps. He's been playing well. Okay, fine. Demarcus Walker, he's okay. Yannick Ngakwe, we know what he can do and what he can't do. So they have a couple pieces there, but it's not a good defensive line. But between Edmonds, Edwards, and Sanborn, that should be a good linebacking core. And I know the secondary is banged up right now and that there's no Jalen and no Gordon and no Jackson. That is a problem. But the secondary is also supposed to be a strength. And while they're banged up right now, they haven't missed the entire season. So to me, this defense has enough talent to be below average, right? They have enough talent to be 18th, 19th, 20th in the league, especially with a head coach who is supposedly a defensive guru and should be able to put his defense in positions to succeed. So the fact that the defense is this bad and Matt Eberflus doesn't trust it is a huge, huge demerit to Matt Eberflus. I mean, how can you have your head coach as a defensive-minded head coach not trust his own defense that they have invested? We've talked about it on this podcast. They have invested so much into this defense. The only thing they could have done more is taken Jalen Carter over Darnell Wright. Other than that, both second-round picks last year, secondary players, three out of the top four picks, top 64 picks this year, defensive players, Edmonds, Edwards, Ngakwe, Walker. I mean, the amount, he has basically picked up an entire new starting defense other than Jalen Johnson and Eddie Jackson. Basically, he's put in a whole brand new defense. And the fact that Matt Eberflus can't do anything with it is so, so bad and so telling of what a weak coach Matt Eberflus is in, in two facets here, right? Matt Eberflus is two people now. He's the defensive coordinator and he's the head coach. And one, I don't think he's a good head coach. 
I don't think he's making sound decisions, and I don't think he's rallying his team. I don't think his team is really behind him. No, I'm not saying he's lost the locker room, but there is certainly, we're hearing the vibes that Hallis Hall are terrible, and Matt Eberflus is not having any ability to keep their heads up. And on defense, he is a lousy, lousy defensive coordinator. He doesn't bring pressure. He didn't bring pressure in Indianapolis. It's not what he does. He's not capable of doing it. And we are seeing it play out this season when we are seeing every quarterback the Bears face pick this defense apart because of what he calls. It's antiquated. He hasn't updated it. He's not doing anything creative with it. He is a lousy lousy head coach there to me that that's that's where we're at and that decision and it's a group decision and i don't I, I would love to have been a fly on the wall for this right bill polian comes in and does all the the pre-interviews and everything he gets a finalist list the way we understand it is ryan poles had to pick from a finalist list of matt eberflus dan quinn and jim caldwell that is a terrible finalist list jim caldwell He's Bill Polian's buddy. He had no business at that point still being in contention to be a head coach. It didn't make any sense. Dan Quinn has been a retread already, defensive-minded coach. What are we doing there? And Matt Eberflus, the unknown defensive-minded head coach who hadn't gotten an opportunity yet. And then at the same time, Matt Eberflus and Ryan Poles have the same agent, and that's former Bear Trace Armstrong. So did Trace Armstrong put this together? Did Ryan Poles make this decision? Did the, you know, what happened? Because the decision to make Matt Eberflus the head coach of this team was a fatal one. It, it is destroying this team. Any hope this team had to be decent this year is being destroyed by Matt Eberflus. Are there other reasons? Yeah, but fish rots at the head and the on-field product, the head is Matt Eberflus. And we can tell he's doing a lousy job. The, the messaging, the messaging to, to the, the, the press and the fans is terrible. The way he and, and the Bears organization handled the Allen Williams situation created an online fervor because they wouldn't provide any information about what was going on there. Not, not even a, a little bit. You know, what they did to Nate Davis, they provided no information there, created an absolute fervor online about Nate Davis and and how terrible he was and he's lazy and, and all this stuff about Nate Davis because they couldn't pull Brad Banks aside and be like Brad he's going through something serious okay just just so you know if you want to work that into something it's serious he needs some time off of work it is a serious personal issue but no uh, Nate's out for personal reasons we're not talking about it Nate's out for personal reasons handled that terribly now we got the Chase Claypool messaging right this Chase Claypool messaging Again, hot mess. Chase Claypool's deactivated. When he found out Friday, Saturday, who cares? Doesn't matter. So Chase Claypool's deactivated. After the game, they asked Matt Eberflus about it. He goes, well, we gave Chase the option. Chase chose to, to, to sit home. Then, 30 minutes later, the Bears PR goes, no, 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 no. We told Chase he had to stay home. We told him he, he couldn't come to this, the stadium. And then Matt Eberflus does media Monday morning, and it's, oh, yeah, 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 I, I got confused. We, we told Chase to stay home. And on Sunday, it was, will Chase be at Hallis Hall on Monday? Matt Eberflus, yes. And on Monday, is Chase Claypool going to be at Hallis Hall? No, he's not going to be at Hallis Hall all week. What's going on there? Again, it looks like the entire 
team is disorganized because the head coach doesn't know what's going on. Now, if I'm going to guess Chase Claypool had the option to come, chose not to because he's a sourpuss and was pissed he was benched, and that's what Matt Eberflus said, and then Ryan Poles goes, whoa, 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 whoa. We want to trade this guy. You can't do that. Everyone's going to sit there and know that he, he quit on his team and wouldn't even come up to the sidelines to cheer his team. We don't want that. We want to say that Chase Claypool was told to stay home so we can try and salvage whatever trade value he might have left. And then Matt Eberflus goes, oh, yeah, that, that's what happened. So it, it's a mess. They're not on the same page, and, and we're seeing this week in and week out about people being recorrected, the, the communications department coming out and saying, no, this is what actually happened. What, you know, Justin Fields, you know, says something, then people report it. And then Justin Fields has to have another press conference to say, oh, I didn't mean it that way. Like, it's a mess. It is a big, hot mess in Chicago at Hallis Hall. And I don't know how this is going to get fixed because I don't know who, how, they can't fire Matt Eberflus. They need to fire Matt Eberflus. There needs to be Kevin Warren saying what is happening is unacceptable. He needs to be fired. But what are you going to do, Bears fans? Who is going to take over Matt Eberflus's job? This isn't just you need an interim head coach. You also need an interim defensive coordinator. You need a guy to do both jobs. You're going to have to bring in Rod Marinelli or Lovey Smith. I can't think of anyone else that you could have come in and take over this team as head coach. We saw how that worked with Jeff Saturday. I understand Marinelli and Lovey Smith have, have more experience than Jeff Saturday, but again, it doesn't work. This coaching staff is in such disarray that there isn't really an option to have a head roll. I mean, you can you can fire Luke Getze and promote Andrew Janoco if that's what you want to do, but that's not going to sit there and suddenly make everything you know, hum and the fact that now, if the Bears score six points against Washington, certainly that could be on the table. But the fact that they just scored 28 points, Luke Getzey's going to sit there and go, hey, man, I scored 28 points and we lost. Don't look at me. Now, we can look at you, Luke. You've made some bad decisions. But he's going to be pretty easy to be able to hold on to it if the Bears put up 20, 24 points against Washington. We'll see if they can. It's going to be an important week for Justin Fields to see if he can repeat that performance against the better defense. But we are... We have a coaching staff that is just in disarray right now, and I don't see a way to have it get any better this year. And that's the problem, because as far as I can tell, this is the worst coaching staff in the league. They, they are completely in over their heads. And if that's the case, that means a Bears team that isn't exactly loaded with talent, they've got some decent guys at a few positions, is going to have to basically outperform their coaching every week to try and get wins. And that's why we're getting to the point where as much as I wanted Justin Fields to succeed here, I just don't see how it's going to happen because there's too much up against him. And to me, here's what I want. And on the post-game show, friend of the Windy City Gridiron, Chris Armstrong mentioned, maybe Fields should get traded to Atlanta. Let's do that. After this season, assuming the Bears stink and have another two, three win season, whatever it's going to be. Let's trade Justin Fields to the Falcons. Obviously, the Falcons would want him, would have to want him to make this happen. But let's trade Fields there. Let's send him home back to Georgia and give him an opportunity with Kyle Pitts and with Drake London and with Bajan Robinson. Could you imagine Bajan Robinson and Justin Fields in the same backfield? Woo! And see if Arthur Smith can have success with Justin Fields. 
because I think as Bears fans, we all want him to succeed, right? We are all behind this guy. I don't think there's a many fans that, ah, screw that guy. I don't like that Justin Fields. I think 99% of Bears fans are behind this guy. And if he's not going to succeed in Chicago, let's have him succeed someplace else. And maybe Atlanta is the place to do it. I love that idea. I would love to see that for him. Because I just need to reboot this team, right? If they have the first and second, first and third pick, something like that, and they can get Caleb Williams with Olu Fashanu or Caleb Williams with Marvin Harrison, that's the type of impact move that can change the trajectory of a franchise. And that's what I want to do. You're going to bring in a new coach. I don't know what's going to happen to Ryan Poles. If this team goes 1-16 or some awful thing, it's going to be really hard for Ryan Poles to hang on to his job because there have been Ryan Poles' mistakes, and we're starting to see the fan base turn on him a little bit. I mean, in August, oh, King Poles, King Poles, King Poles does it again. (coughs) The amount of times we heard King Poles does it again and now we're hearing it on the other side. King Poles does it again as some sarcastic line about one of the guys he brought in that has underperformed. It's a major issue for this franchise right now is what to do with Ryan Poles. I think it, Matt Eberflus is done, and I think because of that, he is going to drag Justin Fields with him. The question right now is what are you going to do with Ryan Poles? Do you give him a second coach? You give him the opportunity to have Caleb Williams and another high, high draft pick and see what he can do? Or do you say, Ryan, we loved some of the stuff you did, but at the same time, some of this just is not working and we're going to go another direction. I I think either way is fine. Uh, I am leaning towards no more polls because I don't know if I trust Ryan Poles' evaluations in, in a lot of ways, Right. He, he brought in P.J. Walker. I know it's just a backup quarterback, but P.J. Walker couldn't even make it out of training camp. His, some of his, his evaluations on the offensive line, he brought in Lucas Patrick, who's awful. Now, was that a Luke Getze thing? I don't know, but Ryan Pohl signed off on it. Was Matt Eberflus the guy that wanted Edwards or Edmonds? I don't know, but Ryan Pohl signed off on it. That's where we are with Zach Pickens, barely making an impact on Sundays. Javon Dexter's okay, you know, Demarcus Walker has been up and down. Yannick Ngakwe, one sack through four games. That you know, Yannick Ngakwe is on pace for what four and a half sacks. That's not that's not why you brought him in there. You brought him in here for ten sacks. We're seeing a lot of holes in Ryan Poles' decision, and I get it. Khalil Mack shouldn't have stayed here for a rebuilding team, but was Khalil Mack for Jaquan Brisker? Was that a good idea, or should you have held out for more? Or if you would have picked someone like George Pickens because you had a little more guts, maybe that would have worked out for you. But regardless, Khalil Mack has six sacks on Sunday. Do you know how far back you have to go for the Chicago Bears as a team to have six sacks? Because they've got two through four games this year. You have to go back another five games from last season. They have six sacks in their last nine games, and Khalil Mack did it in one game. This is what we're looking at with Matt Eberflus and the decisions of Ryan Poles, and that's why this team continues to struggle. So there are a whole lot of questions, and we're going to spend the next 13 games talking about them because there's just not going to be a lot to talk about on the field. 
Of course, we'll continue to talk about Justin Fields. But at this point, what else is there to talk about? We're, you know, spend 15 minutes talking about Roshan Johnson. That's not going to that's not going to light people's fires. DJ Moore. I love seeing Justin get him involved, but he's going to go as Justin Fields go. And we're going to talk about this defense continually being soft and not being able to generate pressure and being basically a defense that every quarterback in the league licks their chops against. And that's where we're at. And things aren't going to get better. There's no reason to think that this defense is going to turn the corner. This is Matt Eberflus' scheme. We have seen it. It's not very good. The offense, this is the talent they have available. They suddenly are not going to start scoring 35 a game. This is an offense that's capable of scoring about 20, right? I know they scored 28 against Denver. That's a really bad defense. This is an offense that I think if they're playing well, 20 to 24 points. And the problem with this offense only being able to score 20 to 24 points is that this defense has given up 25 points for every game for almost a full season. And the biggest problem on this team is Matt Eberflus's defense. Luke Getze's a problem. Justin Fields hasn't performed consistently like we wanted to see. Offensive line struggling, you know, coaching decision. Every, there's plenty going wrong. But Matt Eberflus's defense, to me, is the biggest problem with this team and why they are doomed. Because they are not going to be able to figure it out unless Matt Eberflus makes massive changes to how he runs a defense and starts actually putting his players in a position to succeed. We're going to talk about all this with Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus. He joins us next. This is Bill Zimmerman, Bears Banter. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back into the podcast. You know, you hope you get to have guests on under positive circumstances. And if you're a, you know, crash for Caleb kind of guy, maybe this is. But this was a rough one. Even when everything seemed to be going right for Justin Fields, they still managed to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory talking about it with brad spielberger from pro football focus he's of course at pff underscore brad on the twixter i'm sure you all follow him already but if you don't make sure you do that brad bill zimmerman how you doing i'm doing great uh yeah obviously a, a tough ending yesterday but a very fun and, and exciting first three quarters of football uh, some life from this offense an awesome performance for the most part from justin fields those were the kind of games that we were hoping to see like every week right where it was Fields takes that step, shows he can be the guy on a weekly basis, and then, you know, they kind of lose late with bad defensive play. You know, it's been just bad all around until until this game. But, you know, it would have been nice probably to get on the in the win column against the Broncos. Uh, but you could argue, like you said, if you are in the crash for Caleb, uh, that was a big loss if you are in, in that camp. Yeah, so let, let's talk about the positives about Justin Fields first, because unfortunately there's a lot of negatives around this team, as there is every week. And and here's what I would say about Justin Fields' performance. And I, I tweeted this during the game. I thought, you know, based on me watching football games, you know, just casually on the broadcast, on the broadcast film, that I hadn't seen receivers that open consistently, like they were in the first half, since the Mitch Trubisky-Tampa game. I'm not putting the games in the same situation because obviously this is a team going the wrong direction and that team was going in the right direction. But that was the kind of defense that that Fields had to look at. I, I just saw guys that they were you know streaking wide open. Now, I'm not taking away anything away from Justin Fields because with that in mind, the one thing I saw from Fields was he wasn't taking four, five, six seconds to deliver the football to open guys. He saw it. He delivered it. He was decisive. And, you know, take away the Hail Mary. He was literally perfect 
through, I think he managed that through three quarters. He had not thrown a legitimate incompletion. You got to love that from, from him. And maybe, just maybe, I know after the Chiefs game, we were kind of all writing this off and going, it's time to pivot at quarterback. But if you if he starts stacking performances, I know we're not going to get 330 yards and four touchdowns, but if he starts stacking performances like this, Brad, maybe this is going to give Ryan Poles, Kevin Warren, and this organization some pause and maybe seeing if you know what they have with this guy at quarterback. Yeah, I mean, like you said, look, obviously guys were open. Coming into this game, we had Damari Mathis as our lowest graded cornerback in the entire NFL and a Sang Bassey in the slot, the fifth lowest. And if you don't like PFF grades, that's fine. They're they're directionally decently accurate. If you have the, if you're the lowest graded guy in the NFL, you're probably not playing that good of football. And uh, no so anyway, Justin so, Simmons. <laughs> yeah. And injured Justin Simmons at safety, very good player. So, but look, I would agree with you where I still don't necessarily care about that because he was decisive. My big thing with him coming into this year, which I think we saw a ton of early on, was also he was putting the ball not just accurate, but giving his guys yards after the catch type throws where a lot of the DJ Moore crosses over the middle, a lot of the screens to Komet and Khalil Herbert. Like that is something I'd nitpicked for Justin for a, for a while now. You know, the DJ Moore preseason touchdown, you know, I think kind of was a big thing. Well, yeah, he scored, but it was a bad throw. Like I think we've actually seen a lot of growth in all those little areas that really, really, really does matter. So he was phenomenal. They were finally moving the pocket and getting him on the run, but he was accurate to his right, accurate to his left. He was layering balls with the correct touch. Like it wasn't just all bombs or all, you know, simple out routes and then comebackers. It was middle of the field. A lot of right, right. It was full field over the middle, outside the numbers, short, intermediate, deep. It was it was everything. Um, and he looked he looked exceptional. He did he did. And I think this game coming up here in Washington is gonna be a big answer i mean we're not going to get the full answer but a big answer here on justin fields because what exactly prompted this was it a you know a defense that's honestly worse than the bears defense which is hard to say and fields took full advantage of it which he needs to do now he's going to have a short week to prepare for a washington game less time to shake off the end of that game that loss with this washington game coming up a good defensive line this is not going to be you know you're not gonna be able to hold on the ball five seconds and, and and find someone against this washington defensive line with you know, Larry Borum and Lucas Patrick out there for the Bears offensive line. So this is a big game. If we see, and I know we're not going to see a perfect first half and four touchdowns, but if we see closer to this Denver performance than we do the, the KC performance and this Green Bay performance and what he had earlier, then I think we're going to say we've actually seen some growth and we should expect more of this moving forward. Yeah, and maybe you do get a Tevin Jenkins back in the fold. I thought Nate Davis played some good football, you know, in, in this game against Denver. And the interior scares me even more than Chase Young and Montez Sweat on the outside. So maybe if the interior can be, you know, a healthier and improved performance, you don't have Lucas Patrick, uh, you know, as a turnstile out there, that that would help Justin Fields to a great degree. You can pick on the secondary. Like Emmanuel Forbes, the rookie, you can go at him. And I think the physicality and the size that the Bears prioritize at receiver, like that's, you know, a matchup they want to exploit against a 160-pound corner who I think is a good player and going to be a good player. But, like, he got bullied a little bit by A.J. Brown yesterday uh you know because he's a physical big bodied guy and he went for like 170 so yeah it's a big test it's a short week the short week thing is interesting obviously they played this team on a thursday game and did absolutely nothing on offense in that game but i almost think a simplified boiled down playbook 
um, could be a good thing in some ways. Like just go to your bread and butter, keep it fairly simple, maybe some more of those half field reads and moving the pocket and all that. Um, and, and just, you know, lean on what worked this in this game and, and just do it again uh, until someone stops you. All right, let, let me ask you a couple specific instances in this this Broncos game that were obviously pivotal points in, in this game. Let's start with the fourth and one where they chose not to go with the field goal. You want to do the try and draw them off sides, call a timeout, didn't work. Okay, fine. Let, you know, move on from that. I don't think anyone's going to nitpick on that one. I am definitely more of a conservative armchair coach. I When there's points available, most of the time, and, unless it doesn't make any sense mathematically, yeah, obviously you're down four, kick a field goal with four minutes to go. No, we're not doing that. But when it makes sense to take points, I'm a guy that says, just put the points on the board. I would have kicked the field goal. I would not have gone for it. I know a lot of people say, oh, no, I, I like the aggressiveness. I like that. And I get it. Maybe Matt Eberflus doesn't trust his defense, or maybe he's just like, no, we're running the ball well. We're moving it well. We can pick up a yard, keep the ball, drain the clock, end the game. I get where the, the concept is and the thought process is. But for me, Brad, when the game is tied and you're that late in the fourth quarter, you need to kick the three. That's my opinion. What about you? We'll get to the plate decision second here, but I just want to hear what your thoughts are on the decide the decision to go for it on fourth and one. I gotcha. Well, yeah, the, the play decision we'll definitely get into. Uh, yeah, look, I, I think people may, might assume I'm always pro-aggression. I'll give an example from yesterday why the Chargers went for it on fourth down late in that game on their own 30-yard line when a rookie Aiden O'Connell had taken seven sacks, six by our old pal Khalil Mack. He looked like a 2018 Khalil Mack in that game um, and had three fumbles, two of which he lost on seven sacks. Why the Chargers wouldn't just punt it away and say, make this kid drive 90 yards on us. Made it, it was one of the dumbest, just like, again, in a vacuum, ignored the play call. I think Justin Herbert probably on a QB sneak is a fine play call. But anyway... Like, that made no sense. I actually – I do. I, I have no faith that this Bears defense was going to stop Russell Wilson and Sean Payton in a two-minute. So, I think you kick that field goal, and they, they come down and score a touchdown, and you lose the game. I, I was fine with the decision. All right. And, and it's, it's open for debate. I, like I said, I get it. I would have rather have taken the three and lived to fight another day kind of thing, but, but so be it. But now the play call itself I have even actually more of an issue with because the bottom line here is – the most dynamic player, your best player, is Justin Fields. Period. End of story. That's who needs to touch the ball in this situation. You have, you, you have a timeout. You take a timeout after trying to draw him off sides. Luke Getzey and Justin Fields are talking on the sidelines, and Luke has to be like, Justin, you need to get me a yard. You can ask him, how do you want to get this yard? You know, put some power in his hands, something. But this is, I don't care how well Khalil Herbert looked, and yes, he was picking up big yardage and he was playing well. This is Justin Fields' team. He is the most dynamic player. He's the most ath athletic player. He needs to have an option. Option, if you want to try and do a, a read where he has the choice to pitch or, or take it himself, something. You have to give Fields the opportunity to get you that first down. 110%. My big thing, too, though, is just on fourth and one, every time a team lines up in shotgun on fourth and one, I want to rip my hair out. And oh, sure, it's, it's anecdotal. A static start for Herbert as well. Yeah, it just ugh. it's insane. It's truly insane. And so you don't have to do a QB sneak, but get him under center. So there may be they think it's a QB sneak. I mean, we saw in college this past weekend on Friday night. I don't know if you saw Oregon State did like a fake tush push. You know, the infamous Eagles play now. They basically faked that and threw a, um, a, a pitch and it was a 45 yard touchdown on fourth and one. So like 
there's more things you can do off of that play. But why are not under center? Like you said, either you get Herbert a running start or all the different you know permutations of what that looks like. I agree. The play call itself was was a, was a losing play call, and that's why we're talking about it. And let me just ask you this: while, while we're talking about tush pushes and and, and sneaks, Cole Komet. They snuck him again. He did get the first. It looked like he got stood up and wasn't going to get it. And then he actually found a little groove. Fields actually got in there and pushed him a little bit too and, and helped out. Do you like that play call? Because again, I'm a guy, I, I just don't, I want Justin Fields to have the ball in those situations. And that's that's twice now they've done it with Komet and they're one for two. Yeah, it's strange. I, I mean, look, I, I do think you need to mix things up, right? I mean, I guess the Eagles don't. They just give it to Hurts every single time, but uh, and it works every single time. But yeah, when I, you have I'm that cool offensive that, line, it doesn't. Hurt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm cool that in the context of just if the thinking is let's show different looks and do different things. So when we do go to it with Fields, you know, maybe it's not the most obvious play call of all time. But yeah, end of the day, you got a six foot four, two hundred forty pound uh, athletic specimen. Give him the damn ball. Yeah, and 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 as we move forward here, the, the the fumble I think is is interesting because it Fields was dead. He there there was there was no way that play was going to succeed. I've watched that play over and over again, and that was just you know whatever you want to say. It was a great read by the defender, whatever it was. I mean, that was just Rudy Rudiger, you know, getting his sack for Notre Dame. He was just free on the outside, wasn't touched, and Fields just turned, and there he was. I would have preferred when you have a lead like that to what I say, just take the fetal position sack, just curl up and go down. I know Fields never thinks that way, and he has taken a lot of sacks, and I'm sure Getsy is trying to t- you throw the ball away. Do not you do not take sacks, but jump passes like that are, are dangerous, and of course everything blew up. So I, I'm not putting all the blame on fields, but I'm also seeing on social media, a lot of people going, you can't put any blame on fields there. That play was doomed. I, like I said, the play call was an issue for me, but I still think there was Justin Fields could have been smarter with the football. That's one of those where his, you know, elite escapability almost worked against him. Like you said, he's never going to think I'll just take this one and live to live to fight the next down. No, he's going to try and spin out of it and and make something out of nothing because we've seen him do that a hundred times. But like you said, I mean, as soon as he turned around, the guy was in his lap already. Just, yeah, just, just go down and and, and take it. But you know, that's not in his DNA and I get why it isn't, but it it was obviously a, a massive turning point in this game. Yeah, and and this isn't, I don't know, this was just, because I just found this out right before the recording of this podcast, because I haven't had a chance to go back and, and watch this game a second time. And what I didn't realize, on Justin Fields' intentional grounding, where he needs to put the ball closer to Khalil Herbert, there's there's no question there. But at the same time, I did not realize that the Broncos only rushed three. They rushed three guys. The two guys on the outside were doubled. They were no issue. And Lucas Patrick just got beaten just beaten and fields just was was dead to rights there and tried to get rid of the ball and and made a poor choice where he placed the 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 ball but i mean the the decision at center here and i know this was supposed to be cody whitehair but he doesn't look much better at, at guard right now either the ryan poles decision on not addressing center is really biting an offensive line that's had issues with health and braxton jones is out tevin jenkins has been out but even if Braxton Jones, I don't know what his situation is. I don't know if he's out for the year, if he's going to be back in, in four games here. Even if Braxton Jones comes back, even if Tevin Jenkins comes back, Nate Davis looked better. You know, Darnell Wright continues to improve and is definitely a guy at right tackle. They're not going to have a legitimate center. At this point, for me, I put Dan Feeney out there just to see it because what they have at center, Brad, just is not working. 
I mean, Feeney can't be that much worse than Lucas Patrick at this point. So I know there's, you know, the obviously the relationship there with Getze, and he's been in the building for a whole year. So you might feel more comfortable with him, you know, with protections and and making the calls and and all that. But yeah, I mean, I mean, Patrick was just like flat-footed, just stood there and just got blown by. And this is a Broncos defense, like you said, had a lower pressure rate coming into this game than the Bears. Uh, And I'm sure Bears fans are shocked anyone has a lower pressure rate than the Bears, Uh, but they do. So. Yeah, I, I'm with you, and I, I, hopefully we do get Tevin and Davis, and that can kind of help Whitehair or whoever it is at center. But like you said, it's going to be a, a bit of a thorn in their side going forward no matter what. End of the day, though, too, it's also just coaching and putting guys in position to succeed. Uh, Sam Mustafer is our second-highest graded center in the NFL, and a Baltimore offensive line that is missing You know, left tackle Ronnie Stanley. They had issues at right tackle for a couple games. Like The players, we can blame the players a ton. They're obviously at fault. But also, guys leaving and playing well elsewhere over and over and over again, maybe it's a bit of a signal that the coaching staff is not developing guys the right way or not playing them in positions uh, to succeed. Yeah, Nicholas Morrow, three sacks yesterday for the Eagles. So <laughs> there you go. All right, last thing on this uh, on this game, and if I'm reading everything in terms of quotes and what everything happened, to me this was the biggest issue with Justin Fields because, like I said, on that fumble – could, he could have taken better care of the ball, but that play was dead on arrival. Like there, you know, there there were some of the things you want to look at. You know, the the intentional grounding. He's got to be better where he's putting that ball. But again, Lucas Patrick just does an awful job. But on the interception, which of course ends the game, the the way I'm seeing it on on all the quotes was Cole. There was a difference between zone and man. Cole Komet read man. The Broncos said afterwards they were in man. Justin Fields said he read zone. He put the ball where what Komet's route should have been in zone. Komet sat down like he should have for man, and that led to the interception. So I'm going to say this, and this is coming off a great game, and I have said this multiple times, that out of, in my lifetime as a Bears fan, there is not a quarterback that I wanted to see succeed more than Justin Fields. I had the, the most faith, the most hope, and, and liked this guy the most. I was just excited for this. But when you're in year three, and you're misreading man and zone in a critical situation like that, Brad, that's the most alarming thing in terms of any negatives that may have been honestly on this whole season for me. That's that's a really alarming play for Fields at this point. Do you agree? Yeah, you definitely don't want to hear it. Um, you know, I, I'm excited to go back and watch the all 22. I guess excited is the wrong word. Uh, yeah, like I told you, I'm almost done with the whole game here. Obviously, that's the very end of the game. The one thing I would say is, like, you know, even last night with Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, they had a miscommunication, and Kelly, uh, Mahomes almost threw a third interception right into the hands of C.J. Mosley. So, like, it does happen, but, but yeah, I hear you. You'd rather your quarterback be correct and your tight end be wrong. Well, obviously, we wouldn't be pumped about Cole Komet, you know, reading the wrong coverage, doing the wrong thing. But, but yeah, it, it's not a great sign. Vance Joseph plays a ton of zones, so maybe Fields thought he was just going to sit back and do what he's known to do. But yeah, it's it's it, like you said. I think maybe pre-show, like there's always some little detail. Something always has to go wrong. Yeah, he was awesome, but we're, we're talking about two or three pivotal moments that that flipped the outcome of this game. All right, I, I want to ask you about Chase Claypool, but before I do, I kind of want to talk big picture with this team here moving forward because I don't think anyone is in Matt Eberflus's camp anymore. At least from from a fan base, I have a hard time believing Kevin Warren or Ryan Poles are. But Matt Eberflus and the entire coaching staff is, is, is a problem. I feel like the, the Bears are going to be outmatched on the sidelines every week moving forward the rest, of the, the rest of this season. I'm just not seeing it from Matt Eberflus. And 
you know, my, the, the mindset, I think, was always the best outcome for this team is this season. Whether they make the playoffs or not, it was irrelevant. Was Justin Fields proving he's the guy, they have their quarterback, and they're moving forward. At 0-4 and, and the Panthers at 0-4, with them currently owning the first and second pick in the draft, is Justin Fields being the guy – when I say being the guy, I don't mean like elite top five. If you tell me Justin Fields is going to become an elite top five quarterback, obviously that's it. But I'm talking about Justin Fields being a top 12, top 15 quarterback, you know, a good, a good enough quarterback. Is Justin Fields being that guy? Is that the best outcome moving forward? Or when you're sitting at 0-4 and the team that you have their pick is also sitting at 0-4 and you have a guy like Caleb Williams in this draft, is the best outcome for this team right now to just blow it, finish terribly where they have the top pick, and I assume at that point the entire coaching staff is going to be gone, Justin Fields is going to be gone, you'd have Caleb Williams, a new coaching staff, possibly a new GM, that's going to, I would assume, be up to Kevin Warren. Is a fresh start now the best outcome for this team, or is there still hope for Justin Fields? Where where are you with that? I think – Whenever there's the, the idea of if he if we can know for a fact he's a top 12 quarterback in the NFL, I'm never going to say that's not the best outcome because, look, I love Caleb Williams. I think he is a special, special talent. I think he's going to be a very, very good player. But if we see what we just saw, again, not, maybe not you know 335 and four touchdowns, but if we see a, a similar player for the next 10 whatever weeks, that's not a bad thing. Like I'm, There's no argument for me that's a bad outcome. You could also even simply argue – it increases his trade value and you can move on from him and get more picks in return. You know, instead of getting a Trey Lance Hall, a solo fourth round pick, maybe you get a, a day two pick or something like that. So I want to see him play well. I don't care if they win a couple games and they're picking, you know, their own pick is four and maybe Carolina's is, uh, you know, the one they ultimately use. Like, I, 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 I yeah, like I just want to see good quarterback play. We've been through this so many times. That there's no scenario where I don't want that to be the outcome. I don't want to tank all that. Look, the talent is is tanking already. The defense is the entire secondary is hurt. The defensive line is one of the worst units in the NFL. Like they're going to lose a lot of games, even if we see a very good Justin Fields. And I get, I obviously get the premise. I get, you know, you're you're the New York Jets and you play your way out of Trevor Lawrence by winning two games late in that season. Um, and, and now they are where they are. But I, I just, yeah, like I, I want to see good quarterback play and you figure the rest out later. Yeah, the Bears play their ways out of Peyton Manning many, many years ago, winning two out of three out of four, I think, down the stretch and got Curtis Enos instead. Oops. But and, and this is what I kind of wanted to say following up with Caleb Williams. And I'm a huge Caleb Williams fan. And if the Bears somehow ended up next year with Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison, that's the with, with DJ Moore there as well. That is the kind of pivoting move that can completely change the outlook of a franchise that'd be exciting that'd be something to look forward to but at the same time in my lifetime there's been about six seven quarterbacks that have just been like put on this pedestal guaranteed number one picks guaranteed to go on for greatness john elway was one of those guys troy aikman was one of those guys um you know peyton manning maybe eli manning uh, Andrew Luck, like these guys were, were there and these surefire number ones. But I'll throw out two names that were also there, and that was Jeff George and Tim Couch. Those guys were also can't miss Luck, you know, future legendary quarterbacks. So as much as we can sit there and look at guys and say they are special talents and they are, you know, 
as as you know armchair scouts or whatever we'll sit there going that guy i guarantee it he's he's going to be a superstar but there have been quarterbacks in the past that were guaranteed superstars that failed so you could sit there and look at Caleb Williams and say he holds onto the ball too long and he doesn't have to progress through his reads as much you know you can do all these things because of the Lincoln Riley system and how much you know how many how well it fits him and how well you know Justin Fields put up massive numbers and we're seeing some of those issues not getting corrected at, at the pro level so you know that that's where I am I, I I sit here and I don't know exactly where to go with this team at this point because like I said I wanted Fields to be the guy so bad but at 0-4 I'm sitting here going they have an opportunity to potentially have something really special for 2024 but there is no guarantee that Caleb Williams is going to be Patrick Mahomes. That's just how it is. Yeah, no, that's just how it is. I I think the bigger issue, and people made this argument this past offseason with Bryce Young and that whole conversation at number one, and I didn't really get why the argument was being made a year early, in my opinion, but this offseason, when you do have the fifth-year option decision, now is a fully guaranteed, probably, I don't know, $25 million for 2025 for this 2021 quarterback class. It does complicate matters, where it now, like, you need to see even more, you know, like, like this past offseason with Bryce Young said, look, we still have two rookie years left. We still don't really know what we have. We saw a lot of flashes. There's still time there. There kind of isn't now because if you don't pick up that option, of course, you know, the guy goes into a contract year. Then you end up in a potential Daniel Jones situation, which already looks like a terrible decision for New York. I mean, you know, they've had some issues in the offensive line and receiver and all that, but he hasn't played well. So, yeah, it's not easy, of course, but. That is the thing. It's like it needs to be definitive and conclusive. There can't really be any questions of is he a top 12 guy, whatever, um, because you have to make a big financial commitment. I still think it's going to be pretty hard for them to go into that bucket. I, I think, unfortunately, we're probably seeing the last you know 15 games uh, of, of JF1 in Chicago. Yeah, I, I think that's the way it's trending as well. And, and largely, it's also because of this coaching staff. And that's kind of what I want to ask you about here is – Got the Washington on on the short week, and of course that leads into the mini buy. Mini buy is where it is. If the Bears lose to Washington, and let's let's just say that if the Bears lose to Washington, if they beat Washington, that's going to be enough for the coaching staff to hang their hat on and saying, "Look how good Justin was against Denver. Now we've won a game. You know, we've righted the ship. Let you know that that would be enough." But if they fall to zero and five on the mini buy, you know, people are going to want to see some kind of head roll, right? They're just going to sit there and go, this is unacceptable. I think the obvious one would be Luke Getze because of the fact I can't see them firing Matt Eberflus. One, yes, they've never fired a head coach midseason, but even if it's screaming for it to happen, I don't know how they have a coaching staff if they let him go. He is playing, he's doing two roles. You'd have to, you couldn't elevate someone to head coach and defensive coordinator. I, I don't think they have that there. You'd have to bring in Lovey Smith or Rod Marinelli as the interim coach like the Colts did with Jeff Saturday. I don't see any other way to make a move to try and tell the fan base that what is transpiring is unacceptable. And even with Luke Getze, they don't have an experienced play call or anything like that. They, they'd just be kind of throwing someone else out there and seeing if they do any better. To, to me, this, this deactivation of Chase Claypool, I think it may have been their big move. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree 110 percent on the defensive side. You, you kind of don't really have a choice there, uh, you know, for obvious reasons. With Getze, look, Andrew Janico, I think, called like one or two games in Minnesota at the end of a season before he left, where I think they either actually maybe the week 18 game against the Bears, if you remember, where Minnesota had already clinched um, and were kind of playing a bunch of backups. Like he's called, I think, very few NFL games. So. I mean, it can't be all that much worse, although I do think we did see a lot of good, um, you know, like I said, the first three quarters against Denver. But I think we also agree. I mean, it's look, they're dead last in a bunch of defensive metrics for us. Uh, pressure rate, simply EPA per play, like a million different categories. They're horrendous. So I, we'll see if you're 0 five, not only 0 five, though, before the season, you circle. OK, we have Tampa. We have, uh, you know, uh, Washington and Denver. Like all three, this is supposed to be the easy part of the schedule in a lot of ways. Um, and if you're zero and five with one good offensive output, I think we still could see it. But I'm with you. I, I don't expect it, but I think he could be kind of the sacrificial lamb. You let Janico step up, and and you see what you can do. All right, couple questions on Chase Claypool as we wrap up with Brad Spielberger. Brad, Brad, let me ask you this, and, and maybe this is putting too much into it, but let's let's just focus on on the Sunday game against Denver and the Chase Claypool impact. And what I mean by impact is obviously they deactivated him and Equinamius St. Brown is activated, makes a nice catch on the sideline on the flea flicker, had a couple nice blocks that sprung a couple guys there for some big gains. He contributed, right? I'm not saying he's Justin Jefferson out there, but the guy contributed to the offensive side of the ball. What we had seen from Chase Claypool, yes, he had caught a touchdown pass and had made a couple catches, but he also didn't, you know, at 50-50 balls, didn't make an effort. You know, one ended up getting intercepted. We know how little effort he was making on, on blocks. Even the the run that Justin Fields had, the little one-yard scamper for the touchdown against, uh, what was it, uh, Denver. No, not Denver, uh, Tampa, that Chase Claypool literally blew his block and Mercedes Lewis blocked both guys to Springfields. Like, so with the kind of play that Claypool was putting out there, and I am not saying this offense went from sputtering to 28 points because Chase Claypool was benched, but I am saying when you hold a player accountable and finally sit him down and say, this is unacceptable, you are not going to be a part of this team if this is how you are going to play out there, that sends a message to the team that says, we, we understand the problem. We're going to try and correct the problem. You put a try-hard guy out there that is a leader in this locker room. Everyone likes him, and he contributes right away. That's the kind of move that is going to get a team to me in rhythm. And I think we saw it there, and there was a little extra spark there. Like I said, I am not saying that Chase Claypool was the reason the offense hummed in the first half, but it certainly didn't hurt. It puts everyone on notice, right? I mean, not not again, not that players don't try in most games, but you have a, you know a guy you traded at the thirty second overall pick for in a contract year. You're trying to make that move look good. Like I think it does send a pretty serious message to this locker room. All right, they're not messing around. They're gonna look. It's not like you're benching like you know a quarterback that you took first overall, but you invested a ton of capital in this player and you bench him. Yeah, running outside the tackles was successful, more successful than it's been all season long. And there were two plays already charted and noted as ESP making very nice blocks on. That is, that's what he's there for. And people want to laugh at that all they want. Yeah, the fleek flicker, not a great toss from uh, Kill Herbert on the fleek flicker, by the way. You got to no. work on the accuracy <laughs> there. Um, but yeah, no, like he, he made a difference. But also, just it puts every player on notice to step up, to perform, to finish plays, finish snaps, all those little details. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think that that was an important move. It had to be done. And I think. There probably were some teammates and, and players in that locker room that were, frankly, happy to see it done. All right. Now, 
Jordan Schultz came out during the game and he put out a report that the Bears are trying to move Chase Claypool. Fifth or sixth round pick is, is what they're going for. I don't know if they can get that. To me, it's like a conditional seventh or future seventh because I just don't see why anyone would, other than securing Chase Claypool and not submitting him to be to waivers where you know anyone can potentially get him. The only reason to give up anything is to secure him. And for that, it's to me is basically low, low compensation. So for for you, do you think Chase Claypool is done in Chicago? Like, is he not going to take another snap? And do you think the Bears can manage to trade him? Yeah, if I had to guess, he's done. Uh, you know, obviously there was the, the messaging was was a mess yesterday, which again has been an issue. You know, like Eberflus, because football matters a lot more. But the amount of mistakes in that area is also just like not really. You know, when you hire the fifty three year old CEO head coach, if you're going to be bad on the field, at least be elite in like in in all those regards, and it, you know, um, provide some stability. And that hasn't been the case. But anyway. I think he's done. I think not only that the fact that he's not going to show up now this week going into Washington, you mentioned the Bears have a mini buy. Other teams across the NFL are now getting into bye weeks as well. So maybe one of those teams is able to bring him in and give him an extra week of work uh, you know, into their new offense. I think that to the, to the compensation, just like a Cam Akers, like you said, I think you're getting a future seventh-round pick that also might even have conditions attached to it as well based on playtime or – receptions or whatever uh, you are getting the absolute bare minimum like you just said only so this other team can just avoid not getting the player on waivers that's all i think you're getting at this point all right and you put out a couple teams as possibilities on twixter i you know i i think you had the chargers on there to me that obviously the chiefs make a lot of sense and that's a you know you would think andy Reid is someone chase claypool would listen to who do you think would be teams that might actually call ryan poles and be like we have a little bit of interest yeah, so another AFC West team jumps out to me first it is the Raiders. Devontae Adams, you know, said his shoulder was really bothering him yesterday. He did finish that game, but missed like two quarters in the middle of it. But also, like, it's the worst kept secret in the entire NFL. The Raiders are shopping Hunter Renfro. Like, they've been calling teams and trying to unload Hunter Renfro's deal. So you have Jacoby Myers, who's played very well. You have Devontae Adams. And then I think maybe they're open to adding a third kind of big-bodied guy, especially if Devontae Adams is not able to play for a week or two. Because that's also a coaching staff that is, you know, dead men walking and probably will make some desperate moves just to maybe keep their job. So that's one. And then, yeah, the Chargers for me is a, is a really obvious answer as well. They love their big body receivers. I mean, they have four dudes right now. Josh Palmer, Keenan Allen, Quentin Johnson, Mike Williams. They're all 6'3", 6'4", you know, bigger bodied players. Obviously, Mike Williams now out for the season with a torn ACL, maybe done as a Charger period. And that offense yesterday was was very, very bad. I mean, they could do nothing against a bad Raiders defense. Um, and they are a team going into a bye in week five. If I had to throw out a guess on a dartboard, I would say the, I would say the L.A. Chargers for a 2026 seventh. All right. We'll hold you that, Brad. There he is, Brad Spielberger. I'm sure you're all following him, but he's at PFF underscore Brad. If you're not, great conversation, Brad. Really enjoyed it. And we'll see here over the next uh, 10 games or so where this season is headed. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. There he is, Brad Spielberger. That was a good conversation. Brad always brings it plenty of insight. I, I love talking to Brad because you get all facets with Brad because, you know, he really understands the X's and O's and what's happening on the field. He's great about talking about the infrastructure of a team, 
front offices, general managers, co- you know, how, how coaches get hired, all, all that. He's great at that. You know, he has great insight into contracts and, and how to how the salary cap works. He, he just, you know, and he's a Bears fan. So he, he kind of brings it all when you have him on. That, that was a great interview. So, you know, with this, this short week coming up, we did this a little earlier in the week this week. So, you know, we could get, you know, as much time as we could to talk about this Washington game coming up. But as we have been doing here the last few weeks, we are working in questions at the end of this podcast. So we've got a few. And again, I will try and put out a, a little reminder at Bill T. Zimmerman on Twixter just to tell everyone what's going on. But, you know, look for that. And even if you don't, you can still hit, you know, just just at me, just reply to something. Hey, question for the podcast. You know, otherwise it may get lost in some other mentions. Make sure you you say, you know, question for the podcast if you're not responding to a, a podcast tweet. And, and I'll get I'll get as many as I can answered here. We got we got a few. So let's let's get to them. And let's talk to Richard Gage at Rich G 780, who says, does a loss on Thursday lead to Eberflus being fired? And, and Richard, you know, I did talk about that earlier in this podcast. I don't see how they're going to fire Eberflus because I don't see them having the coaching infrastructure to be able to do it. He deserves to be fired. There is no reason to have him on. If this team starts off 0-5 going into the mini-buy, it makes a ton of sense to fire him and move on. But they do not have any, inter- as far as I can tell, they do not have any internal people that they can elevate to be interim head coach and interim defensive coordinator. Remember, he has to. they have to have someone that does both jobs. The only way they can do it, as far as I can see, is Lovey Smith or Rod Mirinelli. Just bringing them in off the street and seeing if they want to coach a team for, you know, 12 games. And I don't know how that's going to improve anything, right? And, you know, they can keep the defensive scheme kind of similar. Basically, Luke Getze, this is your entire offense. You're making all the decisions moving forward and, and go from there. I, I just don't know how much that is going to help. So I think Eberflus is here until the end of the year. I think if there's a scapegoat, they may fire Getze. But at the same time, it's hard to scapegoat the offense when the defense continues to give up 25 or more points in every game. Not most games, in every game they play. Dylan H., who's at daddy underscore quack. Do you think there's a chance JF1 is still QB1 next year for Chicago? Yes, I do. It's very slim, Dylan. It's very slim. And I also think that the... All right, so let's kind of play out the scenarios here with Justin Fields. If the Bears have the number one pick, they are going to trade Justin Fields, right? There is no reason to have him on the roster at all if they have Caleb Williams. That Caleb Williams is going to start. You don't need to bench Justin Fields. That doesn't make any sense, right? So there you go. Now, what are the other scenarios? Obviously, if Justin Fields balls out and starts, if we start seeing those three quarters, if we start seeing that regularly in his play moving forward, Justin Fields is going to put together a season and the Bears are going to sit here and go, well, maybe we should keep Justin Fields. But if Justin Fields continually plays like that, even with the bad defense, he's going to win some games. They're going to probably get to five wins if Justin Fields plays like that. And, you know, every once in a while, the Bears just by default are going to manage to not shoot themselves in the foot in the fourth quarter. So they'll win a few games. They go to five and 12. They're going to have the sixth or seventh pick in the draft. Now, they may still end up taking a quarterback. You're going to be looking at QB3 at that point or even maybe QB4. 
So you're going to be looking at McCarthy. You're going to be looking at, at Sanders, you know, Penix. I, I don't know who, you know, obviously we are a long ways away from that. But at the same time, if you have a quarterback like that, well, you may want to have Justin Fields and have your quarterback be the backup. You may not want to commit to the rookie right out of the gate. Um, so that's an option as well. And of course, if Justin Fields, if these three quarters are what we see and the Bears get on a crazy hot streak and win seven, eight games and Justin Fields puts up 3,500 yards, rushes for 700 yards, throws 25, 30 touchdown passes, then they may just want to commit to him, you know, anyway, and they're not going to be in any position to draft a quarterback at that point. They're going to be, you know, picking, you know, 11, 12, 13. So yes, there are, there is a possibility for Justin Fields to be here next year. But here's the one thing I'll say, and I think this is what Bears fans really need to think about. If Justin Fields is here next year, there's a pretty good chance that he himself did enough to save Matt Eberflus's job. So you almost need to, in my eyes, I'm not saying I'm right, but in my eyes, if you're a Bears fan, you need to weigh do I want Justin Fields and Matt Eberflus or Caleb Williams, Drake May, and an unknown coach? That's kind of where we're at. And me, as I've said, I want a fresh start. And we'll finish with at Cav Manning 9. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 not safe at all. How safe do you think Ryan Poles is? I don't think this is on him. Well, Cav, I think this is definitely partially on him. And, and kind of let, let me go through this. So scale of 1 to 10, not safe at all. I'm going to put Poles squarely in the middle right now. He's at a 5. This can go either way on him. Here's what I'm going to say about Ryan Poles. All right. Number one, Justin Fields. He committed to Justin Fields at a level. You want to say he left himself an out because of how things played out? Fine. But think about this. He committed to Justin Fields. He had the number one pick. He could have had Young. He could have had Stroud. Maybe he could have traded down a little bit and taken Richardson. He had an opportunity to get a new quarterback. But he looked at those quarterbacks and said, I'd rather have Justin Fields. And he traded down to nine. He got DJ Moore. And I'm not complaining about that trade. But when you make that trade, you are committing at a certain level to Justin Fields. Now, if things continue to go the way they're going, yes, the Bears are going to fall into Caleb Williams or Drake May and have another really good quarterback prospect. But the higher odds of this was if Fields wasn't the guy with the amount of investments you made in this team, you were probably still, unless he was awful, 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 like how he played against the Chiefs for 17 games, you were going to win like six games. And if you win six games, you're going to be, what, 11th, 12th most likely with that kind of draft pick. That puts you in a tough position to get a top quarterback. So you passed on a top quarterback to make a trade when you committed to Justin Fields with the idea that you would not be able to be in that position again to get a quarterback. Now, because of the gross incompetence of this franchise, it looks like they're going to have another opportunity to get a quarterback. So first of all, that is, and I was trying to argue with that on people uh, on Twitter, and they didn't really agree with me, and that's fine. But to me, he had an opportunity. When you have the number one pick in the draft, you have an opportunity to get a quarterback. 
unless it's, you know, what it was two years ago where Kenny Pickett was the top quarterback available. You have an opportunity to get a big-time quarterback, and he passed. So if Justin Fields is not the guy, that is on Ryan Poles. Ryan Poles said he was going to commit to the trenches. The offensive line is not good. We are seeing some signs of life. Darnell Wright can play. Nate Davis definitely looked better. But he committed to Cody Whitehair slash Lucas Patrick at center, and they're awful. And that's not a second guess for me. Immediately, when they said that in, in early May, that Cody Whitehair was going to be the center, I, sat there, I said, why? Cody Whitehair should be post-June 1st cut. He, he's toast. He's spent. I am not an expert on football, but I've seen enough offensive line play to look at Cody Whitehair and go, this guy can't play anymore. It sucks. I like Cody Whitehair. He's one of the longest tenured Chicago Bears, but his time had come. It was over for Cody. So that was a bad decision. He did not do enough to build up the offensive trenches. The defensive trenches, this is one of the worst defensive lines in the league. He has not built up the trenches like he said. And I don't like the fact that he spent a lot of money at linebacker. I said it, hey, you got a couple good linebackers, but I'm not a guy that wants to spend that kind of money on linebackers. And the linebackers, they're playing fine, but we're also seeing how they're fitting in this scheme and they're not making much of an impact. Yeah, they're loading up on tackles, but Tremaine Edmonds getting 12 tackles a game, six, seven, eight, nine yards down the field, that's not making an impact. Someone's got to get a tackle. It's like a bad NBA team. A bad NBA team that wins 15 games and doesn't have any talent on it is still going to score 100 points a game. They're going to give up 120 but they're still going to score 100. So some guy out there is going to score 25 points because somebody has to. So that's going to happen. So on defense, somebody's going to make tackles, right? You can put together the worst defense in the NFL, which the Bears are trying to do. They're still going to give up, what, five touchdowns and run, you know, 65 offensive plays. There's still 60 tackles to be had on the defensive side of the ball. So tackles are just going to happen and Edmonds and Edwards are going to get him. So Ryan Poles has put together a team that is mediocre, and he has not built up the team in the right areas. On top of that, the Chase Claypool trade is an utter disaster. That is his worst move by far. The 32nd pick in the draft for a guy who basically did nothing. He scored one touchdown for this team for the 32nd pick in the draft. That is awful. Valus Jones is terrible. He shouldn't even be active. He has three or four plays a game, and he stands there on kickoff returns and lets the ball fly over his head for a touchback. Valus Jones does nothing on this team, and I understand it's a third-round pick. It's not like he was a first-round pick, but that's the first player Ryan Poles picked on offense was Valus Jones. He's not any good. Ryan Poles also blew some money the way he handled Nick Foles and released Nick Foles too late because he tried to trade him and he couldn't. That was a poor decision. Not a huge, impactful decision, but again, it's a mistake. Alex Leatherwood, I've talked about a lot of people. Oh, Alex Leatherwood, you, when you're bad, you got to take a shot. No. Alex Leatherwood was awful with the Raiders. And you want to try and have a reclamation, progress, uh, a reclamation project with Alex Leatherwood? Wait for him to clear waivers and then say, Alex, we want you to join us. And if Alex Leatherwood says, no, I'm going to take you know, this other opportunity, fine. You didn't get him, but committing $8 million guaranteed or whatever it was to Alex Leatherwood was always a bad idea. And he stuck around for a year and then they had to cut him for nothing. What, $5 million left on his deal? That deal sucked. 
you know, PJ Walker didn't make the team. And they just said, nope, I'm done with PJ Walker after guaranteeing him $2 million. So suddenly you start looking at Ryan Poles and going, there are a lot of warts on his. Now, he did some good things. The DJ Moore trade to me was excellent. You know, a couple of the free agent signings I really liked. But there's enough warts here that you cannot sit here and say, Ryan Poles, is, this is not on him. It is absolutely on him. It's on Matt Eberflus. It's on Luke Getze. It's on Justin Fields. It's on Chase Claypool. It's on a lot of guys. And there's, you know, you do the pie chart. You know, I put a lot, the most blame for me, I put on Matt Eberflus. But Ryan Poles has a chunk in that pie chart. You can't absolve him of blame. Now, as for this game coming up against Washington, I certainly do not think the Chicago Bears are going to win this game. I didn't think they'd win against Denver. I had the score wrong. I think I had a 24-14. I'm surprised the offense did as well as it did, even though I knew the Broncos' defense was bad. Now, this is going to be a much better defense. This is a really good defensive line. They're going to get pressure. Justin Fields needs to be decisive with the football. If he holds on to it for five or six seconds, he is going to get sacked. He is going to get hit. He is going to make mistakes. If we see that same decisive Justin Fields, maybe things will be different. But until I see that consistently here for two or three games, I don't trust Justin Fields to be that decisive guy, and I don't trust Luke Getze to call the kind of game that needs to happen. And certainly, I know Sam Howell has been down in a couple games, but he's playing pretty well with Eric Bieniemy. And the way the Bears' defense is, there's no reason to think that Washington isn't going to score some points. So I expect Washington to win. I expect this one to be somewhere around 31 to 20, 31 to 24, somewhere in there. The Bears score some points. They look better. But again, I don't see this defense getting any better. So we'll call it, we'll, we'll split the difference. We'll just say, tw- I'm not going to say 22. We'll say 23. Got a little bit odd number out there. 31 to 23, Washington defeats the Bears. We will see if I'm right, and I will be back Thursday night on the post-game show. Bear down, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Adios.